Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. You guys remain standing with me. There, are, there might be a couple of things that I take for granted, but my pastors are not one of them. We honor our pastors. We love our pastors. What a joy it is to serve on the pastoral team with, uh, with the Roman Santiago's, the Lopez's. It's just truly, truly um, a joy. I want to honor our worship team. My goodness. I don't take them for granted either. I love you guys. I feel like it's easy to come up here to do, do this after they did what they did. And we, just, we just thank the Lord for his faithfulness to us. Um, you guys can be seated. Praise the Lord. If you are saved, if you belong to the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are automatically subjected to warfare and opposition. It's inevitable by default. You can't run from it. You can try to hide, but it's there. And most of us face this in our daily lives. And but because we are not aware that we do not fight a battle against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers of darkness, against demons, against spirits, we're lost. We don't know what to do. We feel bound. And I understand and I'm fully aware that I can't piece up some of these demons. Hit them with a one-two, give them the soda. Like, so we pray. And we trust in the Lord. That's all that we could do. And I say all that to say this. Is that anytime the word of God is proclaimed, there are literal spirits that will try to take the seed from being rooted in that soil so they can grow. And we have to be aware of that. So today, I ask you this. I ask that you just don't hear a sermon. I ask that you hear the word of, the, of God and that it would touch your spirit and you will allow him to speak to you in areas that you may sweep under the rug or in areas that you may ignore. Or maybe there's some areas that you didn't even know were there. But if you would just trust me and trust in the word of God, I believe he'll speak to you today. Amen. Amen. So I don't have much time to go through, through most of the context to set up what I wanted to, but I'm going to just start off with this is, is, uh, David was once king and then he had a son who, who, whose name was Solomon and Solomon had a son named Rehoboam and Rehoboam was a fool. He listened to his friends. He was, he lost the kingdom. It's his fault. And because of him, now we have the kingdom that is split into two. We have the northern kingdom of Israel. We have the southern kingdom of Judah. And for hundreds of years, evil kings would reign. Wicked people turned from God. They, they, they didn't belong there. Hundreds of years. 720 BC, this happens. A group of people called the Assyrians, they were wicked people, vile. They took over Israel and they took the 10 tribes into captivity. They left the city empty, desolate ruined and now in 580 bc another group of crazy people decided you know what we're going to do the same thing they did now they're going to sack the kingdom of judah and so the babylonians copied the assyrians and they took the kingdom of judah into captivity this is what we know as the 70 years of exile and in those 70 years of exile we see people come to prominence like esther like daniel like shadrach meshach and abednego 150 years jerusalem was empty, desolate. Its walls were broken down. Its gates 
burned with fire. Now, what happens is a group of people called the Persians now take over Babylon. Now they run it, but somehow, some way, they show a little more favor towards the Jews. And then what they do is they start to let some of them go little by little. And we see the first group that goes under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And then we see another group go under the leadership of Ezra. And Ezra was a mighty man of God that reminded people of their spirituality to return to the Lord. 13 years after, almost around 13 years after Ezra, we now have a man where we get our text from today and a man named Nehemiah. We're going to read in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, if I could have those verses. Follow with me. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Here you have Nehemiah. He's a, he, he's, he's a government official. He's a cupbearer to the king. He was born into captivity. He's in Persia or he's in Babylon with the Persians and, his, and the, the groups, they start to come back and his brother Hanani comes and he says, tell me about what is happening with our people. And then his brother responded. They, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. A group of people come and he asks them and he says, tell me about the condition of the people. Tell me about the condition of this city. He was curious and the reason why he was curious was because his connection was to his people. He was a Jew. His connection was to his people and his connection was to the city that bore the name of God. Will you tell me about the condition of the city? Nehemiah is now wondering about life outside of himself. What Nehemiah did and where we get the whole account of Nehemiah, he did one thing as he offered his heart for a greater cause that is bigger than him. And because of that, it opened up a door that changed his life completely. He was inserting his heart into a situation. We miss that. So listen, some of us will miss what God has for you because you have not inserted your heart into that certain situation. This church is filled with people that are here, but you're not really here. We've had your body, but we haven't had your heart. And you will miss what God has for you. You will miss what God has for your family. You will miss what God is doing in this church. You will miss what God wants to do in your life because you have not inserted your heart into a situation. That's a word for somebody. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4 says this. This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, when I heard these things, what things was Nehemiah hearing? When I heard about how many people were separated from God. When I heard about the disgrace and the shame and the vulnerability that they're living in. When I heard about the disgrace that, that, that God's people are facing. When I heard all of these things, this is what Nehemiah did. As he sat down, he wept and for some days mourned fast and prayed before the God of heaven. He heard about the shame, the brokenness of a city, the brokenness of a people. And it brought him to his knees as he wept as he cried 
as he fasted and he prayed. I think about when the Lord had brought me to this text immediately, and you guys heard me speak about this so many times. I feel like this is just what the Lord has called me to speak on uh, in this time, in this season. When I look at the culture around us, when I look at my people, when I look at our nation, sometimes I can't help but to sit and to weep. When I hear, when I hear about the spiritual state of our nation, when I hear about the moral decline of our schools and our education systems, when I look about the decadence of the, of the spiritual state of the church, when I hear that people are trading in biblical Christianity for whatever it is that makes them feel good, when I hear about the name of Jesus being blasphemed, when I hear about the name of God being mocked, sometimes I just can't help but to sit and to weep. Nehemiah, when I heard all these things, I sat and I wept and for some days mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What I love is that Nehemiah didn't just sit down and cry. He did something that we should all do is pray, right? But, but after he sat down, after he, he's on the floor and he's weeping, he got up with something that changed his life. Nehemiah heard about the suffering of his people. He heard, he cared, he inserted his heart. And now after he wept and after he prayed, he got up with something that would change the course of history. He got up with a burden. That's something that a lot of us do not have is a burden. A desire that leads us towards purpose. We have no real care for anything outside of ourselves. And whether you like it or not, America is consumed. It is churches are filled with consumer Christianity. It's all about me. Even the worship songs about me, the lights, the sounds, the temperature in the room, it's about me. And nobody has a real burden. My spirit is burdened today. There is a grief inside of me that has arrested my spirit. There is a weight of deeper calling, a burden that has been given by God for his desires for his people. Today I ask you, what are you burdened by? Are God's desires in your heart? What makes you upset? Sometimes our anger, sometimes our righteous anger, actually most of the time our righteous anger will lead us down a path that will give us a burden. Understand this, a burden can say a change from season to season. I'm not burdened by what I was burdened by when I was a child. I'm not worried about the financial state of my parents anymore. That's not a burden to me. I am burdened now by way more other things. My daughter's going to start school soon. We don't know what to do. I don't want to homeschool her. But she's not going to a public school. That, that's my burden. There, but then, and it's not just because I want to protect my child from mean people. No, no, no. Like, can you see the moral decadence of what is happening in, in California alone? Los Angeles alone is a cesspool. It's a wicked place. It, if they don't repent, it is bound for hell. No favor of God on this city. Where do we see it? What burdens me today is a nation that once pledged its allegiance and now has a plan and a purpose for its progressive ideologies. In God we trust nation, you see it on your dollar bill, has turned into a nation that deserves hell for what it is doing. Some of us are burdened by the wrong things. Hear me out. 
you sit there and you think that abortion is health care you think that a woman has a right to kill a child some of you think that it's okay to be homosexual how can we have a nice church how can we invest our money in these things when there are people starving you say these things times are changing the church should too we say these things that is not a godly burden can i tell you what that is those are thoughts that are inflicted by a strong moral compass that is connected to the world and not god's word we have the things of the world the things of the world on our mind and not a heavenly kingdom and a holy god god is looking for people god is looking for a heart that he can bless with a burden a burden will give birth to a vision and a lack of burden will cause a church to be useless because we know that without a vision the people will perish father we thank you god for your word pray with me church father we thank you for your word i pray even now your holy spirit will begin to touch your touch your children's heart holy spirit i need you i am but your messenger I pray, God, that you would go forth, Lord. Use me as your vessel. But I declare, God, that your word, God, will pierce these people's hearts. There would be freedom at the end of this, God. And we will see, God, your glory upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Daisy. Now, we heard about Nehemiah, his burden. We're going to skip to chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. It says, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem. He is now in the province of Jerusalem. He's outside of the walls. He sees what is going on now. And it says this, he says, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. He now sees what he already heard, what he already knew. Church, we cannot rebuild what we do not know is broken. When you begin to examine culture, examine it. It's not that hard. If you're, if you're, if you're a chosen people, if you, you choose to follow the Lord, it is not that hard to find out what is wrong in our nation today, let alone California, let alone Los Angeles. It's not that hard. And it goes deeper than all of these things that we may not see. But I wonder why culture doesn't bother us. Culture doesn't bother some of you guys. You guys are lost. Don't even know what I'm talking. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You know why? It's because we see nothing wrong. No discernment. And this is how we contribute to it by being consumers. Just coming. No burden. Just I'm going to come and I'm just going to receive. I'm going to hope that I get what I want, what I need. And if you don't, you leave disappointed. Verse 17. We're going to skip to verse 17. It says this. It says, then I said to them. He's telling the people that he traveled with. He's telling the people that are with him. They're going to help him build. This is Nehemiah saying this. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Our churches, they lie in ruins. Their gates, their walls are broken down. Some marriages are broken down. The pulpits in America, they're broken down, burned by fire, crumbling into ruins because the world has won our affections. You see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire. Some Christians want to be as close as they can to the world without actually being like the world. And then some Christians want to be as close to Jesus as they can without actually being like Jesus. 
Because we have millions of believers, followers, that think that following Jesus costs you nothing. Vain philosophy and moral attitudes have gripped the hearts of believers. Culture has gotten your attention. Now, since culture has gotten your attention, it now has influenced your thinking. And because it has influenced your thinking, now it has won your affection. And because it has won your affection, it now redirects your focus. And when it redirects our focus, it dominates our conversations, the way we live, the things that we do. And now what we're doing is we are compromising. We are left in a state of compromise because we have allowed the world, the culture, to get our attention. One thing after another. One brick after another. It's even influenced the way that we dress. Now, I'm not going to pick just on one gender, but I'm going to. I remember when it was appropriate for a woman to wear a shirt from here down here. In culture, somebody thought it was acceptable. Let's just raise it up to show the belly button. Nobody wants to see your panza, right? So they lift it up. And then culture also decided that, you know what? Sex sells. So let's start to cut down the shirt so women can show the puppies. I'm turning into my dad. That's what my dad called them. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that, that kind of just came out. It, you see, you understand, right? And listen, the world has bought into it. But listen, enough Christian women have watched, have paid attention, now thought, and it changed their focus, and they look just like the world. You look just like the world. And now what we do is we wear lingerie to the beach, but in reality, all it is is it's a change of material. But we seem as, as acceptable as appropriate. You want a Bible verse? Look for it. I guarantee you you'll find it. The women should dress appropriate. And now I'm going to pick on the men. Some of you, I can't tell if it's you or your wife from behind. With the skinny jeans and the booty shorts that some of you guys wear. The Bible teaches us not to cross-dress. That's in the Word of God. You can look that up too. But listen, listen this is what culture has done. Culture has severed the anchor between God and believers. As we're sitting on the boat, the anchor is cut off, and now we're just drifting. We look up and wonder, where did we, how did we get here? Because this is what culture does. And it has pierced through our grasp on the word of God to its entire counsel. We have believers that will find a verse and they will build their whole theology around one thing. We wonder why we're in a disarray because believers have not counted the cost of what it truly means to follow Jesus. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going we're gonna, to uh, go to verse 18. Um, I'm going to read 17 again. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. The gracious hand of my God on me. You know what that is? That's favor. And what the king had said to me, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. When we open these church doors, when we ask you if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you're invited to a connect group, when you're invited to prayers in all sorts of manners, whenever these doors are open, whenever a brother or sister opens up their house to you, you know what they're inviting you to do? They are inviting you to rebuild. 
some stuff that the enemy took, you're not going to get it back. I know we know that song. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. There are some things you're not going to get back. There are some things that you have forfeited. There are some things that you gave away. You're not going to get back. But can I tell you, now is the time to rebuild. We're not can't go back and ask for those things. Let them go. They're dead. They're gone. Those relationships, let them go. It's time to rebuild. Some stuff isn't worth going back for. Some stuff is worth doubling down. So when I tell you, and this is unbiased, completely unfavoritism, can I tell you something? When I look at the hand of my God that was on me, like Nehemiah said, I look at our pastors, I look at our leadership, I look at all of our ministries, it is the favor of God. So I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, you're here for your first time, we'd love to have you back. You've been here a thousand times, but you have not inserted your heart, now's the time to insert your heart. Church, this is a prophetic word for your families, for your lives, for this church. It is time to rebuild. Somebody give God some praise. I'm not going to accept that golf clap. Come on. To you be the glory, Lord Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 18 says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Who commanded? Jesus commanded. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Notice some things that America and our church is doing that God is not with us. Jesus created a church that was committed to going. Therefore, go. Don't just build and come and sit. Don't just open up the doors and come and sit. Therefore, go and make disciples. Who are disciples? Those who believe and those that are faithful. Because the Bible teaches us, and this is something I learned from my pastor, is you teach the word of God to faithful men. Some of you guys go to connect group. Some of you guys come to my connect group. And I tell you this almost every week is you might have my time on a Friday, but you don't have my attention. The Bible tells us to teach to faithful men. This is how we build disciples. Jesus's highest command that he gave was to go and to make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them. And he will be with us. Jesus, I believe he saved us to have a burden for something greater than outside of ourselves. And those are our lost family members, those that are broken, the people that we see that, that are hurting to live with a mission. Jesus' mission statement to go to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You want to know why some of your lives are boring? It's because you don't have a burden. You can't pray longer than five minutes because you don't have a burden. You can't read the word of God and study because you don't have a burden. You can't even join ministry because you don't have a burden. There are things that the absence of a burden is keeping us from. Mark chapter 16 verse 15. He said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now I'm going to take this out of context, but uh, I actually literally did this. There's a bird that is outside of my window laying eggs, and I was preaching it my sermon. All creation. I'm like, yeah, I'm a, uh, you're going to hear this word. You're, it's going to get in you. And you're going to lay some beautiful baby birds that will all survive in Jesus' name, and you'll never come back to my house. <laughs> Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, to, to all of those that have breath. 
to all those that live, to all those that have a life after death. And it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Because your belief just isn't good enough. I know a lot of people that traditionally believe that there is a God. You can ask anybody on the street. But it says that we'll be baptized. I'm talking about the symbolism where we get dunked in the water and come back out. We love that and we celebrate it. But it is a baptism from death to life. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of me. And I am now a child of God. Next verse. Leave it up there. Check this out. It says this. This is important. It says, but whoever does not believe, those that don't believe, those that aren't baptized, those that aren't saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You know why church feels like Sunday in, Sunday out? You know why it just feels like clockwork we just show up? Because that word condemned doesn't bother us. That word condemned does not bother us. And you will sit there in your own depravity condemned and it doesn't bother you. Some of you that have a true desire and you are actually following the Lord, you don't have a true desire for your family and for those that are lost because that word doesn't bother you. And we sit down in these churches in our seats and that word condemned, which means damned, does not bother us. Jesus is saying that anyone apart from me will be damned because it isn't you only live once. I got one shot on this earth. That's what, that's, I, I got one shot here. What I do here determines where I will spend eternity, where time does not exist. Literally, your life, eternity times over. I can't even grasp the concept. But your, your 70, 60, whatever years, 80 years you got here, what will you do with it? In order to spend eternity with our God in heaven. No pain, no sorrow, no hurt, no worry. Or spend it damned. Where you will be eternally burned and mocked and beaten. I can, man, I can't even imagine. Amongst one of the men that was with Jesus when he was doing his ministry among the disciples. Was a man named John. He's one of my favorite men in the Bible. Is John was burned in a boiling sister of oil. Like it was this huge pot. His whole body fit in it. Maybe even three people boiling. And they place him in it and he doesn't die. Because as long as we're in the will of God, nothing can take us out. It's his decision. It is up to the Lord. So now John survives, so what happens? And now John, he's banished to a prison island of Patmos. This island is a small island in the Mediterranean Sea. And Jesus, comes, Jesus says, hey, I want you to write this down. 22 chapters of prophetic words that will come to pass. No matter what anyone thinks, no matter what you believe, they will come to pass. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. Who was seating on it? It was Jesus. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small. Who are the dead, great and small? Rich, poor, high class, low class, everybody. Nobody's excluded, great and small. And standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had heard. Uh, what they had done is recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. This should scare any person in here. This is the word of God. Listen, this next verse should scare the hell out of you. It says this. It says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The way, the truth, and the life. Anybody separated from God, their fate is sealed. They are damned. The person that had unbelief, their unbelief and their sin sent them there. Jesus didn't send them there. God didn't send them there. It was their own unbelief and their sin because we believe that only the blood can save us. And God has given everyone a season of, of grace. You know what that season of grace is, is called? It's called time. We know that tomorrow is not promised, and we know that today is a day of salvation. So I tell every single person in this place to heed the words of God. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to receive the crown that was laid up for me when I pass. And I say this with a broken heart. I don't say this because it's fun. I don't say it because nobody else says it. I say it with a burden. Some people here will not hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because some people will not finish their race. What do you want to be remembered by? I know what I want to be remembered by. I want, I want my children to remember that I love their mother. I want my children to remember that I was a man of character, that I did the right thing, that I treated people the right way, that the way that I raised them was, was the same way that I expect to act. I want my wife to remember me as somebody that loved their children, somebody that put her first. These are things that I want to be remembered by. Now that I have a ministry that's public, I want to be remembered amongst the people as somebody that always put God first, that proclaimed his word, that didn't put people's feelings in front of the sermon, that didn't put anything else other than the proclamation of his word. That's what I want to be remembered by. So when I'm laying in a box, when there's nothing else left of me, Whatever legacy I leave, it doesn't matter to me. I want them to remember that I was a messenger for the Lord. No matter which way I go out, no matter how much longer on this earth, that's what I want to be remembered by. When Nehemiah showed up to Jerusalem, he didn't just see broken walls in a broken city. He was searching and he started to see these people are starting to go. The people that were, were let out of captivity. Now what he sees, he doesn't just see broken, uh, broken um, walls and, and gates burned by fire. He now sees broken people. All of us here are broken to some capacity. I know some people here think that you poop roses. That everything is all good. That you got everything all squared away. Every single person in this place is dealing with some type of brokenness. There are broken relationships in this place. 
There are broken marriages here. There are dreams that are no longer being dreamt. There are people that have visions that no longer have visions. There are things that pain and disappointment have taken away from us. There are some that are even afraid to believe again. They're afraid that, that if they just kind of give themselves to people, that they're going to be hurt again. There are some people that have seasons of pain and it's just laying in rubble, broken down in ruins, visions and ruins, ministries and ruins. It says that in captivity, the Israelites, they, they lost their identity. They started being like, you ever been through something and you lose your identity? You ever been through something, a long season of something? You ever been through something that you shouldn't have maybe been doing and, and you get out of it and you lost your identity? You ever been with somebody and you mature all of a sudden and you're wondering, why was I with them? And you ever been with somebody so long that treated you terribly and poorly and now you believe something about yourself that isn't true? Because you've been through something and now you lost your identity? This is what happened to the people. But I pray tonight that there are a resurrection of some things. I prayed for you. I got on my knees and I wept for you. And I pray that there will be a resurrection of life. That even some will just have a resurrection of feeling. Walking around numb with no burden, no purpose. And you just need the resurrection of feeling again. Resurrection of trust, of intimacy. And like Nehemiah, we are called to rebuild that which is broken. Malachi, he was a voice for the Lord. Malachi lived at the same time as Nehemiah. And, and Malachi, in the book, in the, chapter, in the very few chapters it gives us, it gives us an insight of the state of the Jewish people at the very time. And so Malachi is writing this down. A voice for the Lord. And his, his ministry gives us insight to the condition of the people. So I want to go deeper and say, what was the condition of these people? The Jews were so deplorable. This was the last person that God sent before he goes silent for 400 years. You look and you study the Bible. Malachi's the last book of the Old Testament. He's the last voice. We hear nothing else for 400 years. Until the birth of Jesus, until the, until the ministries of the disciples in the New Testament. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to go there real fast. It says, As a son honors his father and a slave his master. This is God speaking through Malachi, the, vo the voice of the Lord. If a son honors his father and a slave his master, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. You say you love me. You honor me with your mouth. But your heart is far from me. You say you love me. But you put everything else in front of me. You say that you love me. But you have yet to count the cost of what it is to follow me. You will count the cost for everything else. You will count the cost of how much the gardener costs, how much the water bill costs, how much gas is going to cost this month. You will count the cost of how much gas it will take you to get to church. But you will not count the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. And we look at what God is telling the Israelites. Am I not your master? 
Did I not deliver you from Egypt? Then why are you giving a golden calf my worship? Did I not provide for you? Why are you setting up other things in front of me? If I am your father, if I am your master, where is my respect? Where's God's respect, church? You give your spouse more glory than God. You give your children, you give your bank account, you even give the preacher more glory than God. If I am your father, if I am your God, where is the honor due me? When I look at your life, when I look at your lifestyle, when I look at your social media, when I look at... When I look at what you do on Saturdays compared to Sundays, when I even look at the way that you treat other people, the way you even act and condone yourself inside of the church of four walls, than when you do when you're outside of the world. If I am the God that you claim to serve, where is my honor? Where is the respect that is due to me? So far from God. But if he is your God, where is his honor? I don't have time to read this, but in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra, the, the, walls are, the walls are built. They're done. And now, you literally have immediately, right? Nehemiah's, hey, king, can I go? Will you have favor on me? Provide with me all the tools, everything necessary. Nehemiah starts to build around. Uh, it starts to build people, starts to build ministry, starts to trust other people. And now the walls are done. They're built up. And so now what do we have? People that were busy. And they didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't even know that they were doing the will of the God. They didn't even know that what they were doing was set up generations and generations and generations. Because they were just there. And now that it's done, we have Nehemiah. We have Ezra. Okay, we built the walls. Now we have to build up the broken people. I, 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 wish, I wish I had a little more time. I, I'm just going to go through it fast. Is it, it went on. And now the people, they're They're broken. They know deep inside down they're far from God because they see the blessings that God has brought. Because sometimes you look at God's blessings, you can't help but think and reevaluate yourself and say, Lord, am I living right? I look at my wife, I look at my family, I look at the ministry, the favor that's on me. I, I think, Lord, am I living right? Am I worthy to, to stand up here? Is this man that is speaking to people living a life that is holy and righteous? Because I see God's blessings and it will correct your heart. So this is what is happening with the people. Experiencing the blessings, a part of a great move. And now, are we living right? And so what they do is the people are asking Ezra in, in chapter 8. You can read it. They're going on to say, will you preach to us the law of Moses? They are so broken. They are so hurting. They're asking for one thing. They're not asking for counseling. They're not asking for a friend. They're not asking for people to come down and sit with them and, and tell them everything is okay. They're asking for the truth, the word of God. And this is what happens. As it goes on to describe that, 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 that an altar, a wooden box was, was being set up, right? You think that we just stand up here just because. No, no, no. This goes way back. They built a pulpit for them. They built a stage so they can preach. And Ezra stands on it and he begins to preach and he begins to tell people and the truth set them free. These people are brought to their knees and they are weeping and they are crying 
And they, they start to see, my goodness, look how far we have come from God. And they go on, and it says this. It says, uh, in verse 9, I'm going to read this part. It says, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This is a day. It's holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all of the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And then it says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We read this wrong. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of God is is your strength it's not that your joy that God gives you is your strength it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength what is the joy of the Lord that's good yeah you're that's good you know what else is the joy of the Lord saving you from your depravity giving you his son to die on the cross was his joy Healing you of your brokenness is his joy. Taking you from glory to glory is his joy. It is not my own personal pleasures. It is not the day at the beach that I needed or the vacation that I needed away from my children. The joy of the Lord is my strength. people went out and brought back branches verse 16 and built themselves temporary shelters and their own foods in the courtyards in the courts of the house of the God and the square of the water gate the one by the gate of Ephraim I didn't give them these verses the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from days of Joshua son of Nun until the day the Israelites had not celebrate celebrated it like this and their joy was very great the only person that can give you joy in this world God Almighty search for it wherever you want you're going to fail it will fill you for a time it will fill you for a season but you'll end up coming back empty you can find it, it you can find it in the weed you can find it in the alcohol you can find it in the men and the women but I can tell you that you will feel worse after you will be even more broken than you were before and you'll start to try to put all the pieces back together and you'll fail and you'll fail and you'll fail and you'll find yourself in a place of how did I get here? Because it is only God that gives true joy. I don't take joy in saying some of this stuff that I say. But when I go home and I see the restoration and I see the walls that were being built, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't take pleasure in going to my family and telling them, this is wrong. This is what I stand for. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I see people, one out of 100,000, come to meet the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I am not moved by culture. It doesn't have my attention. It will not have my focus. It will not allow me and dictate me to move with everyone else. Church, have you been hearing me cry out for the last year? There are walls that are being broken down that only we can build. 
Imagine Nehemiah never inserted his heart. He inserted his heart. Imagine he never went to the king. He was saddened before the king. That's you can't do that. You die for that. And it was called out. And he says, "If it if it pleases you, if you if I find favor with you, will you release me?" Nehemiah did it. He says, "I will go. I will rebuild it." Stop blaming other people for your issues. Stop blaming uh, things on outside of the world for what is happening in the church. Stop blaming everyone else around you for what has happened to you. Your feelings might be justified. The way that you live your life might be justified. Uh, the, the, way, the way that you feel about yourself. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Allow Him to heal you. It's time to rebuild. Stop blaming other people. Put on your big boy shoes. Strap up. Let's go. It's time to rebuild, church. And I will cry out more and more and more. I will sound like a broken record until I start to see one brick on top of another, on top of another, until I see that the walls are being built and the gates are no longer burned with fire. Is there anyone that will hear this message and say, I will rebuild? Because there are certain things that nobody can touch but you. There are people that are condemned that nobody else can reach but you. Because we live in a culture, in a society that thinks that everything is going to be okay. I love the online thing. It's amazing. We thank you for joining us. It's a great thing. It is a last resort. It should not be a preference. Some people need to hear this. Whoever watching this, whoever comes across this, set up whatever you got to do to, 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 to spread the gospel. But those that are listening, and you can physically make it here to reach church in Paramount, it should be a last resort and not a preference. Because you know why? There are only some things that can happen in the room. A greater amount of freedom, deliverance, community in the room every day they met in the temple courts they didn't mean online you ain't gonna, you're not going to find what you're looking for online that's great we, we love it we're going to utilize every resource we can but I'm encouraging you guys it's time to rebuild rebuild your walk with God you're sitting there you're watching on the screen you're saying you haven't been faithful the reason one of the reasons why you haven't been faithful is because you you took the commodity you took the bait and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna love it we invite you here to rebuild with us the work of God is gonna go forth if we can stand to our feet listen I covered so much I understand that but listen God has placed a burden inside of you there are things that are even being rebirthed there is a fire that has even been rekindled inside of your heart whether it be a person whether it be event whether even it be a ministry or the desire to pray the desire to read God's word or whether it be the desire to evangelize and tell people that there is a God that loves you otherwise you will be condemned how many people here have a burden tonight. Will you join me at this altar? Can we allow the presence of God to touch us? Can we allow the presence of God to move inside of our heart that that burden will be just magnified, that it will be multiplied, and we will allow the Lord to do that, to do something with that burden? Because it wasn't placed there by me. I didn't move you. 
I can do all the extracurricular activity. I didn't move you. This is a work of the Lord. And if we allow the enemy to rip it away, you will stay in your seat week in and week out. Begin to lift your hands. Worship team, take us in. Father, we worship you. Oh God Almighty, and we give you this time. We ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, the things that are burdening us, Lord, that we will not allow them to bring us down, but you will give us strength, Lord, that you will give us a desire to rise and to build, to take back, Father, the lost kingdom, Lord. But we pray, Jesus, that your work will be done inside of our hearts. Lord, I pray, God, for those that are watching, Lord, will you build, God, something inside of their hearts, a burden, God, that will draw them into the house of the Lord for greater community, for greater healing. Lord, that you would just begin to work inside of their hearts. We thank you for them, and we're so grateful for them, Lord. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.